Today's episode is brought to you by Eat Your Coffee. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Power Trip of Wrestling, brought to you today and powered by our good friends over at Eat Your Coffee. Energize the moment with Eat Your Coffee and their coffee-infused bars. Listen a little bit later on in the show as we give you some more information on how you can get in touch with Eat Your Coffee. And as always, energize the moment while joining the Eat Your Coffee revolution. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz, and today on the show, we are joined all the way over from the Philippines, a former ECW superstar, a recipient of the Bronze Star and Purple Heart, and an SCW World Heavyweight Champion as Chili Willie joins the two-man power trip, and Chili Willie from those later years of ECW coming to you directly, like I said, from the Philippines, connecting all the way with us via Skype over in the Philippines for what was a, a very fun and very interesting interview. Got to learn a lot about those later years of ECW. Obviously, on our show, the Triple Threat Podcast with the franchise Shane Douglas, we hear more about those earlier years of Extreme. But with Chili Willie, he was able to give us a real deep look inside the later years of ECW and what was going on backstage as Chili Willie wasn't necessarily the prototypical ECW superstar that you saw back then, bringing a little bit of flash and a little bit of flair, but also a shit ton of athleticism and a lot of charisma 
to the ECW brand at that point, which, you know, by the later tenure of ECW, 99, 2000, and into 2001, really a lot of guys were going very, very extreme. And you saw a lot of flaming tables. You saw the barbed wire. You saw a lot of that stuff. But Chili Willie throwing a little bit of athleticism in there, a little bit of a... uh, you know, a little bit of a monkey wrench, if you will, into what the prototypical ECW star was at that time, especially having the uh, the build and the size that Chili Willie does. Uh, a little bit different than maybe some of those uh, guys that were hiding under t-shirts at that point. But that's nothing against anyone who was there in ECW. Obviously, those superstars are timeless, and we will not see anybody like any of them ever again. But Chili Willie gives us a look into those later days of ECW, but more importantly, gives us an absolutely just amazing look inside his decision to leave professional wrestling and enlist in the Army uh, following the September 11th attacks in 2001 and going on to tell us a lot of details about his time in the United States Army and leading to what he did receive in the Bronze Star and also the Purple Heart, which to me was just an absolutely fascinating look when you can talk to somebody who was in two kinds of wars, the wars of professional wrestling, but also the actual real war. And that combat experience is something that very few people get to experience. And Chili Willie was able to share that with us in great detail. And that is something that I think, and out of anything that we've aired this year in 2018, could be the more compelling content that we put out there is Chili Willie's Armed Services Experience But, you know, he's also really trying to create a revolution over there in the Philippines as he's trying to bring a real nice professional wrestling flavor over there. Not really a hotbed, so to speak, but he's trying his best to bring wrestling into the Philippines. And obviously with his experience and the time he spent in the business, he is an absolute asset to all the students that he will be training over in the Philippines. And you'll hear all about that in this episode, including the links and the pages that you can go to to support the Chili Willie Wrestling Enterprises all over social media. And I think that we can really almost close this book here on 2018 on such a high note with this Chili Willie interview. So with all that being said, we want you to sit back and relax and enjoy this one. Like I said, we've got a couple episodes left here in 2018. We got some really cool ones on tap for you and obviously preparing for a gigantic 2019 where we've got two huge conventions on the table already. The markout at the Meadowlands convention takes place on April 7th, the day of WrestleMania at the Meadowlands Plaza Hotel featuring Jim Ross, Stan Hansen, Danny Spivey, Butch Reed, Tito Santana, Tully Blanchard, and just announced our sixth super ticket guest, Scott Putzky, the son of Ivan Putzky, the Polish power. So head on over to brownpapertickets.com and search mark out at the Meadowlands and you can join us that day of WrestleMania just 20 minutes away from the venue of MetLife Stadium. It's almost absolutely in walking distance if you really wanted to make it that way. But you can join us there and also getting ready for the TMPT Con 3 Midnight Express 35th anniversary featuring the Jim Cornette experience. Already signed to appear are Jim Cornette, Dennis Condry, Bobby Eaton, and Stan Lane down there in Richmond, Virginia at the Holiday Inn. Head on over to, again, Brown Paper Tickets and search TMPT Con 3 and you'll get all the information that you'll need to join us. And I know a lot of people did last year from the podcast down in Richmond, and we got a big fan base down in Richmond. So please, head on out there. Let's make this a giant event and really start off 2019 with an absolute bang. But before we do that, let's close out this year with Chili Willie 
So let's hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to the one himself, Chili Willie. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, TMPTOfWrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former ECW superstar, a recipient of the Purple Heart and the Bronze Star, he is also a former SCW World Heavyweight Champion. He is the one and only Chili Willie. Please enjoy. on the line is a former ECW superstar. He was an SCW World Heavyweight Champion, and he also yes. has a purple heart and a brown star. Bronze, which is pretty bronze cool. star. Yes. Bronze star, I'm sorry. Brown, bronze star, I'm sorry. I said that wrong. Bronze star and a purple heart, which is pretty damn cool. Welcome to the show, Chili Willie William Jones. Thank you for joining the two-man yes. power trip. Thank you, guys. Thank you guys for having me. No problem. And you obviously are joining us from uh, halfway across the world. What is going on over there in the Philippines? Lovely weather, man, and, 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 and just uh, enjoying life. What brings you to the Philippines? What are you doing all the way over there? Um, well, when I got out, the, uh, when, I, when I watched out on uh, WWE OVW, um, I went back home. That was back in 2005. Got a job. Uh, from there on, um, I just started traveling. You know, after my after I decided I, I didn't want to work anymore, I said, "Well, I'll just live off my uh, disability retirement, whatever." And uh, so I started traveling. So the first place I, I went was Costa Rica for about four years, and then from there I uh, decided to make a change and 
head on over to the Philippines because the Philippines have a, a VA hospital. So all my needs could be met if I got sick or, you know, just checking up on my my health. And so uh, that's what brought me here initially. And of course, you know, the women, the, <laughs> the, hmm. the food, the food uh, and all that good stuff. So, yeah. And then once I once I got here in 2015, um, I I looked up and, and wanted to you know to know if they had any wrestling, and I saw that they had wrestling, and um, so I was, I was really intrigued. And so they have a they have a couple of promotions here, two actions to be to name, PWR, MWF, and. Uh, and so I'm kind of helping them out in a sense, you know, not too much. They they do their own thing. I just uh, every now and then I'll go in and train with them and you know give them some pointers, and and that's about it. And recently I uh, I decided to start my own company, Wrestling Entertainment 3000. And so I'm just working on that to get that up and running, and hopefully 2019. I will have my first show. Nice. And what are you looking to do with that? Are you looking to, you know, make it big, start small, kind of just be, you know, a little indie in, in the Philippines, or you know, what's the grand plan for that? Well, well, the the whole grand grand uh, plan is to to go big. But like anybody else who's, who who decides to start a uh, an indie promotion or whatever, um, you know, uh, learning from ECW. You know, you definitely have to uh, start small and then just work your way up. So uh, I'm going to start small um, because it's just me pretty much. Um, over here in the Philippines, it's, 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 it's a lot different than in the, in the States. But first of all, a lot of my friends are in the States. So um, it's kind of hard to get or get people to understand where you're coming from because um, the new era now is social media and how to promote from there i'm old school somewhat uh and not really uh social media savvy so um it's kind of hard to 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 get what i want out without hiring people and people here you definitely you have to hire it's not like a, a friend thing where yo you know come help me out let's let's do this and we'll do this for whatever and have a couple of drinks um, so, um, yeah, that's, it's a little different. So now I'm just going to just try to push it, you know, and, and start very small and see what happens. Is it going to be in the vein of ECW or are you going to try to make it, you know, make somewhat like ECW or just taking some things you learned from ECW? Uh, things that I learned from ECW, things I learned from the Indies in, in North Carolina, uh, uh, even some of the things that I've learned when I saw when I was in OVW, WWE Raw, SmackDown, all that good stuff, you know. Uh, um, so with all the, the knowledge that I've picked up over the years, uh, I want to incorporate it within my company. And being that it's called Wrestling Entertainment 3000, uh, I want I definitely want entertainment alongside the wrestling. Um, I don't want too much wrestling. I don't want too much entertainment. I want it to be a mixture. 
you know. So um, I want I want I want to get the people that are not normally um, associated or people that don't know a lot about pro wrestling to come to the venue and say, oh wow, that's a good show, you know. So um, that's that's my main my main thing right now. As uh, far as wrestlers, uh, I will use local Filipino wrestlers. Um, they have some good talent here. Um, they're learning. They they are um, picking it up as they go, and that's okay. You know, you, you, that's, that's 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 fine. When I first got here, I was kind of like, "Wow, you guys are doing it wrong. You're doing it this." But now I've learned that these guys are they're making it happen their way, and um, and it's a good thing for them, you know. And so I want to showcase them. And hopefully, you know, some of the main big companies will see these guys, girls, and start picking them up, you know, and maybe they get a shot. Is pro wrestling big in the Philippines? Because I have no idea about that, Mark, no. or anything about it. No, it's not. It's, it's, it's a version, baby. It's, it's like, man, it's not. It's, like I said, it's two promotions. They, they were, they had, a, they had some promotion back in the 80s for a promotion, Pinoy Wrestling. But then it, I think it stopped in the 90s or something like that. And it just picked up PWR, Philippine Wrestling Revolution, and MWF Manila uh, Wrestling Federation are the two only big uh, wrestling companies here. Um, they do shows monthly. Um, I had a there was another company called Art of War Wrestling that I single-handedly trained. Um, about 25 students. We had one show, but the promoter, or shall I say the, the management, screwed the whole thing up. So they, they're kind of like on the side, and, and they, we kind of split off. But uh, PWR and Manila Wrestling Federation are the main two. Um we kind of got noticed, unfortunately, with a bad incident <laughs> uh, a couple of months ago with one wrestler who kind of like tried to try to draw heat, and he actually set himself on fire. Some some crazy stunt, uh, unannounced to the uh, the the promoter or whatever. He just kind of did it on him, did it himself, and. It, it got around the world. Jim Cornette harped on it. If you go online, you can you can hear about it, or you can see what you know what Jim Cornette said. There were a couple of wrestlers, uh, WWE and other indies that saw it, and they made reference to it. So that was the that was the highlight of Philippine wrestling so far, internationally. <laughs> um, that, that that you know, I mean, T.J. Perkins, he's, he's Filipino, Batista's Filipino, but they have not. I don't think they've wrestled here in the Philippines, and I don't, you know, so um, I don't know if they've even born here in the Philippines. I just think they're just Philippine, you know, by family. I mean, by blood, whatever. And so, I, the yeah, how that got out, I mean. It's, because that guy did that, and that's the only reference of Philippine wrestling. And Jim Cornette, Jim Cornette buried the Philippine wrestling scene. But uh, these guys are still going. They're still going, and they're trying. And um, 
I give them kudos, man, you know, because they are, they're doing it, you know, to the best of their ability. So we're trying to make it big. Now, you said one highlight. Some people might say it was a low light, though. For, uh, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, but I, I, I look at it like any news, any bad news, you know, good news is, is, is good, you know. It's somewhat, you know. I mean, it, it gave them spotlight, but like you said, yeah, it was a low. It was, a, it was definitely low because Jim Cornette killed it. But uh, so now they just have to get themselves better in ring. The production, let me tell you right now, guys, the production over here, when it comes to it, to an indie show, is very good. Very, very good. It surpasses any indie uh, production show that I've been on in the, in the States, unless you get to, you know, Impact or Ring of Honor or New Japan and stuff like that. But just your regular indie show, the, the, the production here in the Philippines is phenomenal. They have press come here. They have, I mean, they just, it's out, it's, it's, it's out the, it's off the chain. Um, but then when it comes to the wrestling, the wrestling is the part where it's, it needs, uh, it needs help, you know, a lot. So, um, that's where we are. Production is good. The wrestling has to come up to the production level. And once that happens, then, Southeast Asia, when it comes to Philippines, would um, would flourish. You know, they can they could start uh, bringing in guys from New Japan and, and and Canada and stuff like that. They're bringing some guys in from from England and stuff like that, um, but just on a low level. So when you're kind of training these guys and. You know, bringing them in and kind of bringing them along and really teaching them the ropes. What's something that you learned from ECW that you're kind of passing along to these guys? Well, my teacher had two teachers. Um, one guy, his name was Jerry Simonis, actually three, and uh, Dan Wright, which is the cousin of Chris Wright, who is C.W. Anderson. So, but my main trainer is C.W. Anderson. He's the one who really taught me a lot. And him and Steve Carino got me into ECW. And what I learned by working on the, the ring crew, H.C. Logue, Mike Keener, and all those guys, um, is basics, man. You, you, you really have to, before you can do your Rob Van Dam, Jerry Lynn, you know, Lance Storm, uh, tactics, you know, when he comes in there, he moves and stuff. You have to really know your basic. And and once we, we set the ring up, a lot of times in the in the arenas that we went to, you know, we I was the first one in, you know, rolling around. You had to learn the basics, you know. You, you and so that taught me a lot. And even when I went to OVW, Lance Storm, Bill Demont, you know, the, the, these are the teachers that were down there. You know, it was it was basic, basic, basic. And so I've learned that over the years that, you know, you have to do basic. And when I get into the ring with these guys here, the first thing I do or say, you guys need to do do your basic, you know, because they want to do what they see on Raw, SmackDown. You know, they want to do the high-flying stuff. 
you know, because no one's teaching them. So it's like a kid. You tell them, you know, if, if you have kids, I don't have kids, but, if, you know, you see kids and you, there's candy there, you know, the first thing they're going to do is go get, eat the candy instead of eating the vegetables. Well, to be strong and to be a, you know, a well-balanced, have a well-balanced nutrient, you have to have your vegetables. So same thing with the with the kid with, with with wrestling. You have to know your basics before you can go out here and do all this high flying, you know, whatever it is that you want to do. And so that's my my key, my my thing is know your basics first. You know, we'll we'll do hip toss, we'll do uh, headlock takeover, you know, and the crowd pops here for your hip toss. Where in America it's like okay. Give me more. But here the crowd is so hungry for wrestling that if you do a hip toss, drop down, tackle, leapfrog, arm drag, whatever, the crowd is just like, oh, my God. You know, so they need to – the wrestlers need to know how to seize upon that and work the crowd with that. And their match will be so much easier. And going to the buildup, you know, going to the finish, it would be so much better than just coming from the finish first and then trying to, you know, it's like they go backwards somewhat. I gotcha. It's a lot of psychology, a lot of basics. It's a lot of things that it seems to be forgotten a little bit in, in the wrestling business from what we see today. I feel like exactly a lot, of, a lot of that needs to kind of come back to the forefront. Yes. Because they see it on TV, you know, and, and you can't mimic what, what rest, what WWE does, or even Impact, or even you know Ring of Honor, because these guys have TV deals. So, you know, you're talking about a billion dollar company. You know, they don't have time really to do what the old NWA used to do was, you know, lock up, headlock, and sit there for you know a couple of seconds, you know, rest hold, you know, take it in. You know, they, it, it has to be constant movement because the storyline is such and so they only have so much TV time and 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 the sponsors that they have so they have to pay the bills for commercials and the whole night. So when you get on an indie show, you're thinking the same thing. Well no, it's not like that. You know, you, the people only see you maybe once a month if you're running a show. Uh you, there's no commercials, you know what I mean? So there's no editing when it comes to that. You you just have to just you have all the time in the world to to do your to do your match and to slow it down even in a five minute match slow it down you know build it up you know then at the end you 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 climax you know what I mean so uh, that's the thing with a lot of indie indie shows not just here in the Philippines but all over you know you you need to take your time uh, when you're in there and then uh, you know work the crowd tell the story. And bring back the fundamentals of wrestling. You know, um, that's what it's all about. I think. I love that, and I, I I totally agree, and I'm totally with you on that. But you mentioned Carino, and you mentioned C.W. Anderson, and you yes. mentioned ECW. How did you? Obviously, they helped you get signed. But how did you get signed? They basically get you a tryout match. Heyman likes what he sees, and he brings you on board. Uh well. Uh, it's, it's, I, I don't want to go into the shenanigan part of it, but it was a lot of shenanigans <laughs> going on at that time. <laughs> a, lot, 
a lot of hotel stories. And uh, anyway, I, I went there. Um, CW, you know, because I'm from the Carolinas, you know, wrestling with the Hardys, all these guys, Joey Matthews, from York, you name it, uh, Shane Helms, Lodi. Uh, so I, I was going to show at SCW, um, which is now uh, called Gouge Wrestling. And CW and and uh, Carino came in one night, and I, I guess I cut a promo or something. And CW said, man, you, you, you got to come with us to hang out. And I could, you know, show you ECW because I didn't know what ECW was. I'd never heard of it. I hadn't even, I think this was 1999 or something like that, 2000. And so I went with them to a show in Asheville, North Carolina. We hung out. I didn't wrestle. I didn't train or anything. I just, I just hung out. And I remember they were going to show it real quick. And <laughs> they were signing autographs. Well, New Jack was there and, and he was, they were, I was standing kind of beside, or right behind him, and a and a re- and a kid, a fan came up and said, "Can I have your autograph?" And right there, New Jack, without even saying anything, knowing me or whatever, he said, "Yo," he said, "He don't even wrestle. He don't wrestle here." <laughs> it was <laughs> sort of like, you know, who is this guy? And so, I looked at him. I was like, "Yo, what the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, just like that. But I respected what he said because that's their that's that was their show. He was just letting. The fan though, and also let me know this is my this is this is our house. So I I um I got a hotel. I was with CW, and um, somehow we we were all in, we were, we were at this hotel. We we all hung out, and the next morning I can't tell you what happened the night that night at the hotel because there was a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> <laughs> <And> so <laughs> the, the boys were like, "Yo, you know, I like this chili kid or whatever." And then, and so uh, the next day, we went to the arena somewhere, and we they set up. And so I got in the ring and, uh, you know, worked out. I forgot who I worked out with. And so Tommy, we went to another sh- we went to another show at the Lighthouse, the Boathouse, or whatever, somewhere in, in Virginia. I can't think of it. But anyway, and I did a somewhat like dark match or a match with Julio. De Niro, if you guys remember him. Oh, yeah. And, and so Tommy, he liked it. And he said, hey, I think the Baldies, Angel and Tony, they wanted to get off the ring crew. So they were looking for someone to do the ring crew. <laughs> so Tommy, so they pitched it. They were like, yo, we need someone. We need, we need somebody bad, man. We tired of putting up the ring. So Tommy said, hey, uh, Tilly, if you are willing to put up, help, you know, travel with us. Put up the ring, I can guarantee you you can wrestle, and I guarantee you seventy five for seventy five dollars for putting up the ring, seventy five dollars for wrestling that night. And I had a job in North Carolina. I was like, hell yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> I just quit hmm. my job. I went back home and I said, I'm done. And they're like, what? I'm done. And so from there, I would uh, I would go from North Carolina to Philadelphia pick up Mike Keener, the referee. We would go from Philadelphia to Long Island to pick up the ring, the ring truck, drive the ring, park my car there, drive the ring truck wherever we needed to go to, Ohio, Michigan, wherever, do the wrestling show, come back to Long Island, get my car, me and Mike Keener go, I take him back home to Philadelphia, 
and then I drive all the way back home to North Carolina. So I did that for about six six months or so until we had a show in um, Los Angeles. And uh, the famous um, it was it XPW? Is that the name of the crew? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the name of the crew. Yeah, yeah. Until that that time, and and uh, yeah, so that that. That was my time at ECW. You know, we had that big fight out outside of uh, Olympia Stadium, you know, and uh, they from there, you know, Bob was like, "Ah, oh, I love you, I love you," you know, and all this all this shit right there, you know. So, yeah, so that was my time in ECW. You know, that's how I, I got, I got in ECW was hanging out with with, with CW Anderson and, and uh, Carino and, and being on the ring the ring crew, and from there I learned a lot. I learned a lot. That's interesting, like, uh, obviously the way you got in, but kind of the way you stay in and you know, you're driving all those miles and you're part of the ring crew and you're setting up the ring. Is that kind of common that, it, you know, you go through the ranks that way? They, they make you drive around the ring. They make you ring crew for a while. And then eventually, you know, you're, you're more and more of a focus and more of on TV as you kind of put in your time and put in your miles. I, well, for me, it was. There were a lot of other people that were trying to get jobs in ECW. I got, I really got lucky. I think also my look at that time, um, and I was green as shit, you know, I was really green. But um, you know, I, I it's, it's 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 luck. It's um it's a part of you know having some luck, and it's also a part of having the ability to um, to to know how to wrestle. And have a look, you know. Um, so I think all of that played a part, and and plus willing to sacrifice and say, okay, I want to do this. And at that time, I just came in at the right time, you know, to say, hey, you know, because at that time I do anything. I was like, yo, I do anything to, to wrestle, you know, to to get to where you know I want to get to. And so that's what happened, you know. I I missed a lot of on my car payments, and you know. The, Car people were after me, and I was up and down the road, so they couldn't find me. <laughs> hmm, hmm. You know, so I was, I was just to, just to go make that one hundred and forty dollars. You know, because uh, I wasn't on contract. Thank God, because you know everyone knows the story when it came to the contract with, with ECW. You know, there were times when guys weren't getting paid. You know, but I, Tommy always paid me. You know, he always paid the Rinku guys and stuff like that. So. Uh, Today, if you ask, does that happen? I don't know. I don't know what the sacrifice is or what the, the thing is for people to to get to where they need to get to now. You know, because that, like I said, back then we to work on a ring crew to do whatever you had to do. Now I don't. I, it's just people wrestle, and it's like it's just people. Their management of WWE or Ring of Honor or NW. Uh, New Japan Wrestling, they kind of see you and, and they'll ask you to come up, you know. So I, I don't know. I just got lucky, you know. I thank God that it happened the way it happened, and, and I had a good time with it. You know, I, I crashed the ring, the ring, the ring uh, truck. Me and my Kenny was on ninety-five, I ninety-five South. Go, uh, we actually, I fell asleep and uh, I crashed the truck a little bit. So. You know, you get things like that that happen, you know, and um, but yet still, I still work. You know, all people are like, hey, you know, it happens. 
And so, yeah, that's what happened. And also, it happened in, in OBW. You know, people think that, you know, when you go down, I don't know about now the performance center, but we had to put up the ring in OVW, you know, in Kentucky, you know, Louisville. We had to, um, for the shows, we, we break the ring down and put it up, you know. And so you have to pay your dues. And I, I don't know if people are paying their dues now. I'm not quite sure. You know, I don't know how that works. But, yeah, I'm glad I paid them and it, it paid off for me. Definitely seems like you're paying your dues and putting in a ton of miles and obviously <laughs> um, getting into accidents and stuff like that because you're overtired and yes. you know, you're driving way too much. I mean, it's so like you said, that's so a huge, huge sacrifice. Does a guy like Heyman appreciate that sacrifice or does he go kind of about his business and not really, not that he doesn't care, but he doesn't really say anything? No, I, at that time, man, Paul Heyman was, uh, you know, he, he, whatever people say about him, and I got friends, you know, wrestlers that, that don't like. He always treated me pretty well. Pretty, I mean, really good. So I can't, I have nothing, me personally, I have nothing bad to say about Paul Heyman. Because even when I was in the military, he's the one who got me in the WWE. So uh, I remember getting hurt. Um, and I was sitting in Saddam Hussein's palace. We, were on a, we had downtime. I was checking my emails at the time, and I was, you know, I was re- recuperating from my injuries, and I was getting all these messages from, from a lot of wrestlers. And Paul, I get, I get a message from Paul Heyman, and he was like, hey, I got a job for you when you get out. And I I didn't know what he was talking about, but maybe he was talking about security, because at that time, my mind was focused on security, you know, and <laughs> I was going to go work for somewhere like Blackwater or something, you know. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of brushed it over, and when I got back to my time was up in Iraq and I got back home to America in, in Fort Drum, New York, I had two messages, two messages from my captain. One was from, from total nonstop action wrestling. And the other one was from WWE. And I didn't know because I was out of commission when, it, you know, being in overseas wrestling, I mean, uh, doing, doing uh, military, I didn't know what total nonstop action wrestling was. It's TNA. Well, my friend Scott Demore, Scotty Demore, he he was in charge of that, and I remember wrestling him in ECW when we went to Toledo, Ohio, one time, and he had became somewhat of a big guy in, in TNA, corporate wise, and still is, I think. And they asked me to come do you know a trial or whatever, but I took WWE instead, and so. I got signed with WWE, and when I got there, you know, Paul Heyman was the same to me. He was the same to me as he was when I was in ECW, you know. And, um, yeah, he was a good guy. For me, to me, he was a good, you know. Like I said, I wasn't on contract, so I didn't have to worry about getting paid. I remember when he, he left, he was, you know, we didn't see him a lot a lot at the shows because he was dealing with uh, whatever, and he was getting ready to sign with WWE. But and a lot of people were talking shit about him, and you know. But for me, because I was on the ring crew, you know, hey, we was just working. You know, we kept our mouth shut <laughs> and we kept rolling. You know, all the big stars they were they were really pissed off. You know, you know. So, uh, and then that was the thing in ECW. You had pockets. You had you had clicks. You know, you had your ring crew guys, 
you had your mid mid level card guys, and then you had your your stars, and then with inside that you had your your party animals, you know your your, your drug guys. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> you had your drug guys. You had your your guys that would get all the girls, you know. And then you know, once again, the ring crew. So you know, we just the ring crew guys. We couldn't go out a lot because we had to out to the ring. So we stayed together all the time, and, and we just watched everyone else do their thing. Uh, but yeah, Paul was he was cool with us, you know, because we didn't deal with him that much, I guess. That's good that he appreciated you. But mm-hmm. when when the other guys are kind of talking stuff and he's possibly going to sign with the, the WWE and, you know, the end of ECW is kind of on the horizon and, you know, it looks bleak. Was anybody aware that he was going to sign with WWE at that point when he, like, kind of was, you know, going missing, if you will, or not really around as there, much? Was that kind of I, common? I, I really don't know. It, it, you know, like, that's maybe the management... Maybe Tommy and, you know, whoever else was, you know, he was really close to. Maybe they knew. Uh, we were just speculating. You know, the wrestlers, we were, a lot of us were speculating if he's going to WWE. We didn't know. You know, we didn't know the ins and outs. Uh, like I said, especially the ring crew, we were like the flunkies. <laughs> you want to say, we, we were important, but we were we were very important, but we were like, you know, we just, we were like the, the younger brother, you know, just stay down here. Um, you don't need to. You don't need to be in grown folk business, and so, um, and we didn't. We didn't really pride 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 that much because, like I said, we were on contract. So the merchandise money that was coming from t-shirt sales wasn't ours. You know, we didn't, we weren't worried about that. Uh, I think actually, we were, some of us were getting paid from that. You know, Tommy was taking the merch money and paying us when 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 the money was low, if I'm not mistaken. So. Uh, none of us had T-shirts, you know. I I, I didn't have no chilly willy T-shirts being sold, so um, you know I didn't have any toy, uh, what do you call it, toy replicates, you know, being sold, or I wasn't on no game console or shit like that. So we would just have, we were just happy, man, just to be um, wrestling and being being with ECW, and we didn't know what really was going on. We just didn't see Paul at certain times, and then certain times we saw him. You know, we definitely saw him pay-per-view times, a lot of house shows and stuff like that. No, we, we wouldn't see him that towards the end, towards the end of ECW. Now, were you surprised at all when it closed and ECW was done? Yeah, um, when I, I didn't wrestle the last couple of shows. Um, once... Tommy came to us and said, hey, you know, this is closing, whatever, whatever. And then 9-11 hit. That's when I saw, for me, the writing on the wall. I was like, you know, because I was a lot older. Not a lot older, but I was, uh, at the time, 30, 31. So I was like, you know, I always wanted kind of to be in, a, in the military somewhat. So maybe this is my chance. I'm not, I'm not quite 38. You know, I'm 30, 31. So... I'll go sign up. And so at that time, um, that's when I signed up for the military, and I went to the military. And ECW still, they were doing their thing, but they did it very, it was it was really dissolved. And I think they had a couple more shows, and that was the end of it, you know. 
But I remember Tommy telling me, you know, you don't have to come, you don't have to drive up for this show or blah, blah, blah for this show. And when he said that, then I knew, you know, I need to start looking for another job or something. And so instead of continuing wrestling, I said, I'll go in the military and, you know, in case something happens or I, I, I get hurt, I don't have a job. And I needed a job, so I said I'd take my black ass in the fucking military. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't want to go to war, but I, you know, it, shit happens. You know, when you, when you sign up for Uncle Sam, it's whatever he tells you. And so yeah, that's what happened with me, man. I just I went in the military. Now you mentioned before the clicks in ECW and different kind of. You know the party animals and the um, the, the girls that love the, the certain guys, stuff like that. Was that really prevalent in ECW? There's whole stories that the the partying and the drugs and everything else was very prevalent. Right. Was that more so in ECW than any other place you've been? Yes, yes, yes. Even now, when I started wrestling, when I started wrestling, um, SCW, uh, the the owner of SCW Croft, uh, he would do a show at in Raleigh, North Carolina, at this bar called King's Bar. Well, that was my first time to, of, of, of wrestling at a bar and so forth. And we would have good times, you know, wrestling. Um, our shenanigans there were, were nothing compared to what when I went to when I went to ECW. Uh, the most that we would have uh, when it came to shenanigans at SCW was after the show, you go to you go to the Waffle House. Um, you might see someone out in the parking lot making out and drinking or whatever. But when I got to ECW, it was a whole new world, man. It was like it was like a party every time we wrestled. <laughs> every time we had a wrestling show, it was it was like a party afterwards. And the ferocity with with, with uh, wrestlers, man, was like like being in the military because if you if you mess with any one of us, the whole crew is coming after you. And we were just a tight-knit family, regardless of our bickering inside. If we had bickering inside, we were just tight. Um, it, it was it was an honor and pleasure working with guys like New Jack, Sandman, Balls Mahoney. You know, these guys would do some serious, crazy shit, man. I'm telling you, <laughs> I mean, hmm. before, the, before the match... They would be getting lit up, and then it's like after the match, they would be lit up, you know. And it, but hey, they wouldn't miss a beat when it came to the ring, you know. When it came inside of the ring, you know, these guys were on point. Sandman was on point, you know. But there were times when, uh, you know, it shit would get really out of control. Like when we went to Florida, and Sandman was just so total, he would wasted, wasted it. And uh, I think he came, he went out to the ring or something, and pants came down or something, or he pulled his pants down. It, anyway, it was just fucking, it was crazy. You know, there was fights inside the locker room, but we were brothers and sisters, and we we banded together, and, and, and it was just it was just fun. I have, I have never been to a locker room since then, you know, that could even come close to the camaraderie that we had and uh, the love that we had with each other, plus the shenanigans all going on at once. <laughs> it 
it was just a party. It was a serious party. Seriously. You got to love it. That's ECW in a, in a nutshell. Was. Partying, crazy, craziness, shit, shenanigans, and Sam and Paul. And the fans. fans. The fans, man. The fans were out of this world. It was like a cult. You, you would never, I don't think there would be another promotion that could uh, do or um, have the fans like the ECW fans were. It was just like guys from like 18 to 35, you know, that was easy dog, easy dog. I mean, it was just, you know, when you put on your boots in the back and you hear the crowd coming in and and, and the, the music, the, the music hits, it's like, and I've been in, you know, Raw Smackdown, you know, and it, it, you know, with Raw and Smackdown, you got the pyrotechnics and it's like, boom, and so everybody's like, ah, but when, it was just something different with ECW. It was it was just the uh, the crowd was just different, man. It was just a different roar. It was like a fight. It was like a fight roar. Ah, you know. And, uh, you just couldn't. You just felt it. It was like electricity just hitting you. You know. So when you went out there to perform, it was like you tried to do your best, man. No matter what, you just tried to do your best, and. Um, if you didn't do your best, or you, or you, not say if you didn't do your best, but if you messed up on something, the crowd will let you know. <laughs> you fucked up. You fucked up. <laughs> so, so, so you learned from the crowd. <laughs> you, you know, when you came in the back, no one, Tommy didn't have to tell you you fucked up. The crowd already told you. So you, <laughs> know, so you know next time, next week, oh, damn, I, if I do this, I better do it right. I better do it this way, you know. So that's how it was. Yeah. It was just, it was, man. I loved it, you know. So was Dreamer pretty much in charge? What, you know, the time yeah, that you was, were there. Yes, from from my standpoint, he was like my man. He was like my boss. Pretty much, you know. You have you had Tom, you had Paul, who was the, the owner, but Tommy was the man who directed everything. He was supervising. You know, he told you what to do, who to do, whatever, whatever. Yeah, Tommy was. Definitely in charge, you know. He was, he was. Tommy's a good guy too, man. He's very laid back, um, but he got he got his point across, you know. And I respect Tommy so much, man. I respect every, just like every every person in ECW, I respect him. But Tommy was, yeah, he was a he was the architect, man. He he really knew how to how to um. He was sort of like your, what do you call him, uh, doctors, uh, uh, psychiatrist. Yeah, he was sort of like your, <laughs> hmm. with with everyone because people have every a lot of the wrestlers have problems, and he would just like come in and he was fixing this problem, he was fixing that problem, he was talking to people over here, you know. Well, if he had a problem, you would go to Tommy first, you know, before you go to Paul. At least we did. I don't know about I don't know about the stars like you know New Jack and Sam man. I don't know if they went to Tommy first. I think they they maybe they went straight to Paul. But the lower guys, if we had a problem, we'd go to the fixer. That was Tommy Dreamer, and he would somehow, you know, get shit get shit done and get it fixed. And you know, so yeah, he was he was on point, man. Very nice guy. Respect Tommy to. To, to death, man. So many things were going on in ECW at this point. I mean, they do get on TNN 
like when, you know, kind of in the bulk of your run, they are all on TV. Maybe TNN wasn't pushing it as much, but, you know, ECW's on pay-per-view. I mean, it, it did seem like ECW did have a model there. I know WWE and WCW were taking a lot of talent, but it did seem mm-hmm. like there was a model there and somewhat of, of some structure where you thought that ECW would be able to compete as that kind of third wheel. And, kind, and they were getting, you know, okay ratings, especially given that TNN didn't push it as much. They were doing okay in pay-per-view. You know, were you kind of thinking that it had likes to it, or were you kind of thinking, you know, no, or not even thinking about that aspect of it? Like, wow, we, you know, we could have or should have been open longer. There was a, there was, a, you know, a lot of opportunity missed. Yeah, I, I, well, I thought we were going to be on CNN for a while. Um, everyone, everyone was banking on that, man. Everyone was because that would have been contracts for everyone, even us, even the lower guys. And um, and it would have been, it would have helped out everyone. But like you said, um, WWE WWE was taking some of our guys, and they're trying. They're really proud, you know, to take certain guys. And um, I, I I really don't know. That's above my pay grade. <laughs> what, <laughs> what what was going on? Um, I was just lucky and glad to be on TV. Um, I think. But if, if knowing what I know now as an, as an older guy, um, dealing with someone like Vince McMahon and WWE and his his tentacles, I'm telling you, is so they reach so far that I think that if you try to get on television anywhere in America and you're a wrestling company, uh, even now even back then, with the clout that, that, that Vince has, you know, with the politicians, um, the networks, it would be very hard to happen because it could shut you down. Um, I don't know how, I think that's somewhat how, what, what happened. I think that he saw that, and I think it's just me speculating. It's just William Jones speculating that he saw Paul coming in CNN, and I think somewhere he used his wand to say, "Okay, hey, this is not going to happen." You know, uh, let's get to the TNN executives, whoever they may be, um, and, and let's try to shut this down. Sort of like what the NFL did to his XFL. You know what I'm saying? So um, that's just me. You know, I, I don't know what happened. I wish it would have flourished, but I think he, that happened. Plus, he offered uh, Paul Heyman a lot of money to come to WWE and work so that his company wouldn't flourish on TNN or TV. Because if you take the, the headman guy out, you know, or shall I say, if you cut off the snake's head, you know, there it is, you know. And so he he took Paul away, and that that just killed everything, I think. Possibly uh, on purpose. I know that a lot of people always say that he was getting a check from Vince for a long time, and that ECW yeah. was kind of going to be his feeder. Did anybody ever say it to you, like, oh, Heyman's the, you know, under Vince's control or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, that's what they were saying at the end. Also, I, I you know, I was hearing, I, we were, we were also hearing that too. 
But like I said, no one no one knew exactly what was going on. So um, we just played it out, you know. But it was it was definitely uh, it was a, it was a tough time when that when that was going on. But um, yeah, I, I I think like I said with with Vince, you know, he, he was he was he's hardcore man. You can't. It's hard to go up against him. Shall I say? If you're trying to be a wrestling company. And uh, you're trying to you're trying to get it on television. Um, this guy has to sew it up. Man. He has the industry. So I don't know what it will it take to to knock him off that high horse, but it's gonna take a lot because his pockets are deep, and his 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 politics is also deep. You know, and um, it, it, it it's hard to go into any town in America. Any state, any town, any city, and say I'm going to set up shop and I'm going to I'm going to run a wrestling show here and put it on, te- on put it on national television. That's not going to fly. It's going to it's hard to do. You know, TNA is doing it. Ring of Honor, Ring of Honor is going to, but at a very low. It's still nowhere near the capabilities of of WWE. So that's you know just think at that time, ECW really didn't have a chance. You know, and, and I guess he fed Paul a lot of money. Hey, let's pause for one second to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Eat Your Coffee. Eat Your Coffee is a coffee company that was founded by coffee-deprived college students that pioneered a new category in caffeinated natural snacks. The company's first product line, Eat Your Coffee Bars, are a date-based snack bar caffeinated with fair trade coffee, which would be comparable to one cup, and made with real ingredients so you can feel good with every energizing bite. Eat Your Coffee snack bars are non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, kosher, 70% organic, and available in three delicious flavors, including fudgy mocha lattes, salted caramel macchiato and peanut butter mocha my personal favorite now that is an energizing combination because they are on a mission to help get people energized with naturally caffeinated snacks made with real ethically sourced ingredients so if you want more information head on over to www.eatyour.coffee as well as follow them on instagram follow them on facebook follow them on pinterest and follow them on twitter and get all the information on how you can energize the moment with eat your coffee bars Hey, switching gears for a second here, I, I'm going to jump in just to talk about your military career if we can, because uh, sure. it's fascinating to me. I mean, two different parallels, obviously, with you know wrestling being uh, somewhat of a, a war zone sometimes, but obviously being in a real war zone. Uh, there's very few people inside of the wrestling industry that can experience what you experience. But I mean, if you can take us through it, you know, leaving uh leaving life and, and joining the the military what was that like for you at that point in your life and uh and how was that transition uh kind of getting into the service there the, uh, as per the wikipedia saying after the uh, the september 11th attacks um well like i said we were ecw was was holding and one time he gave me the word you know you don't have to come to this show this show the show i, I signed up and um you know, when I signed up, I was—I knew America was at war. I knew the possibilities of going to war. I didn't really want to go, but a part of me kind of wanted to go. Kind of crazy, you know. And when I got in, when when I got here, um, it was—it was surreal. It was just like, wow, I'm in the fucking military. So, <laughs> uh, 
um, I was about 250 pounds. I was, you know, BC and got there, had a hard time when it came to running, you know, keeping up with the, 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 the PT, um, getting up in the morning, lots of, uh, you know, then once, once I, once I finished my basic training and stuff and I actually went into theater, what they call it theater, but went to war in Kuwait, uh, that's when, that's when shit really hit me. I was like, whoa, this is really happening, you know, because the whole time I, I didn't really go. I was even telling my, 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 my army, like 70 guys with certain things. So we were, um, the special forces unit. Now, I was just an infantryman coming out of 10th Mountain. Uh, I was not a, a special force military guy, but they they put us with special forces to to re, to help them, you know. Because normally every special force unit, a lot of them have maybe seven, eight, maybe ten ten guys at the most. So you need they needed more, you know, assistance. You know, guys, we were there like your guys that. That, that were full security when they take a, when they when they go to sleep or something like that. But we would go on missions with them in the whole nine. We would fight with them the whole nine. And so, um, you know, we were in we were doing a lot of raids and stuff, trying to uh, capture Saddam Hussein's flunkies or soldiers or whatever. And we were successful in a lot of them. We got into a lot of uh, firefights. Um, at our safe house, uh, and it's it is really uh, it's something, man. When you are, it's one thing to be in America or, and to have a to be in a fight, and then maybe someone shoot a gun off, and it's like one or two shots. Boom, boom, boom. Totally different when you're in the military in war, and you're shooting a weapon, and then those, and then also the enemy is shooting back at you, <laughs> and it goes on for hours and a half, you know, a couple of days. And so, yeah, I was, I mean, I was, at, at, at the first time I was, like, really terrified, but then you get used to it. You get used to the fighting, you get used to the bombs, the, the RPGs, and I just, from you know, when I got hurt, uh, it, it was just, it was something that I couldn't, I couldn't believe at first, you know, but it wasn't, it wasn't a hurt where, um, it was like threatening, of course, but just the no, just the fact that a piece of the, the, the shrapnel hit me and blood was, was spurting out in the whole night. I was like, no, what is this? I mean, I could have got killed, you know, a couple more feet if I would have went to the left, you know, the bomb would have actually exploded and took off my leg or whatever. And um, it's it's just something you I would never forget, you know. Um, it's, it's it's just one of those things, you know. And then having one of my commanders be killed at, at one point that was really hurtful. Um, and so I, it's totally different from wrestling, you know. It's it's um. It's a band of brothers there too, you know. You don't know these guys. These guys don't know you coming in the military. You know, some of these guys could be could be raised, you know, in a 
in a racist environment. You could have been raised from the hood. You could have been raised from the suburbs, you know. Um, but when you put on that uniform, all that shit goes out the window. You know, I don't care if you're from whatever Mississippi and your, you know, your parents are grandmasters of the KKK or whatever. He doesn't care that I'm from, you know, East Orange, New Jersey and, you know, whatever. It's, when you put on that uniform, man, it's, it's, it's a tight knit, almost like ECW, really, because you're looking to your brother to, to be with you and help you so that all you guys can stay alive and come home. And unfortunately, some of us didn't, but we fought together like that. And it was just, it, it, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's, uh, it's a good feeling, but it's also a scary feeling at the time, you know, if you're in there, if you're at war. Um, and I was going to sign back up. I was actually going to, at the time that I was in Iraq, I said I was going to, I was going to resign and make it a 20 year uh, career. But then when I got the message from Paul, that's after my, after my first tour, I was like, not, nah, I think I'm going to go home and go wrestle. <laughs> and uh, so that's what happened. I, I got, I got out, you know, but, um, I was going to stay in. I was going to stay in and uh, go back, go back to Iraq. Maybe go even go back to Afghanistan. And um, but I guess God saw it differently. And and I and I and I thank God for that. You know, I I wasn't a huge star in pro wrestling. Um, I made my mark, and like I said, I was I was fortunate to do the military and wrestle. Bronze Star, I'm proud of the Bronze Star. The Purple Heart, not so proud of the Purple Heart, but I'm glad I'm alive to to get that. You know, you never want to be proud of a Purple Heart because <laughs> Purple Heart is like either you're dead. Most people who get Purple Heart is dead, you know, and and or you very or you injured. So you don't really you don't really want that one. But I'm glad I got it. You know what I mean? I am um, glad to be here to accept it. Uh, and we just did a lot of things, man. We did a lot of things in the in, in the military at, at, in the war at that time that uh, a lot of people don't know about, will never know about. Um, there's a lot of things that go on in war that people would never, the, the mainstream would never know. I'll put it to you like that. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of yeah, and and we're not we're not um the American government is not innocent as people say that you know we that's that's a whole, another whole story but we've done some things too you know we do some things but to get to the objective and, and to get it um, the way the American government wants it it has to be that way you know so it's it's a it, it, it would mess with your head for a little bit, you know, but you have to be, um, you have to be numb. You just, you have to like say, fuck it. You know, I, this is, this is not, I'm not a Senator. I'm not a governor or a, a, a congressman or whatever. I don't make the laws. And so I'm just going to follow my, my, my commander and 
whatever he tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I did. And thank God I'm home. And I still talk to some of the guys from, from the military online. Thank God for Facebook. And um, it was it was just, um, I'm glad I did it. If, if someone said, well, would you do it again? I don't know at the time. I, I, I don't know if I would do it again. Um, but I'm glad I did it, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. I mean, in your bravery, and obviously, you know, we can't ever uh, discredit or say anything bad about the military and what you've done and, and taking that time and, and doing what you did. It, it's it's very nice, especially as fans and people who watch you on TV, to see that you went out there and put your life on the line for us. is uh, it, It's so great. And my father, is a uh, he's retired military. He was in, yeah, he's a uh, lieutenant commander in the Navy, retired. Uh, he was in Iraq in 2004, I want to say. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, I mean, you know, and he, I mean, there's stuff I don't know, obviously. But uh, but like you said, you know, there's stuff that we don't want to know and there's stuff that we're not going to be privy to know. And it's just, it's amazing to know you've had two such, um, you know, interesting careers and to come back and to work your way into wrestling. Now, I, I got to ask this. I mean, was there ever any hope of uh, kind of incorporating the military background into uh, more of a wrestling-based uh, persona for yourself uh, after you returned? Uh, I, we try, you know what? I tried that in, in OVW. Um, and at that time, real quick, a real story. When I was in OVW, uh, Stephanie McMahon, John Laurinaitis, and Paul Hammond came to our training one day. And, you know, I, I was in the class with Bobby Lashley, Anderson, Guy Phoenix, Dolph Ziggler, the Boogeyman, uh, those guys like that. And so we were uh, doing doing a, doing a practice, and I had just gotten there maybe two week, two or three weeks. Well, they I wrestled somebody, and um, at the end of the wrestling, at the, at the end of the match, Stephanie asked me. She says, "So." you tell us in front of the whole class? Mickey James was there. Hold on. Can you tell us uh, what happened at the in, in the military when you got hurt? And it caught me off guard. And so I told her the story about my commander getting killed, and uh, I was supposed to go out with him. He asked me to come with him, and I was supposed to go out with him on uh, to do a search. To do something, I forgot what we were doing. But he got killed in a IED, um, and I broke down and started crying in front of the whole class. And, and Stephanie was there, and, and it was like I just left. I left the I left the arena, OBW arena, went in the back. Paul came back there. John came back there. John Laurinaitis, and from that moment. Because I thought I was going to go back to Chili Willy, you know, being Chili Willy. They wanted me to do uh, a military um, gimmick. And I didn't know that they had slated me to do the gimmick, the military gimmick to wrestle, I think, Muhammad Hassan, I think the guy's name was back then. Smackdown or whatever. And I didn't know, I didn't know that. 
I just thought maybe I was just going to go back to doing Chilwilly and, do, you know, periodically they were going to talk about my career in wrestling. And so from then on, they were like, when when we had practice, they, were, they, they told Jim Cornette, you know, hey, we want to see emotion out of Chilly Willie every time he tells his story about the military. And so the first time that it happened, it was, they caught me off guard. I, you know, I cried and, and it was there. But they wanted me to continue that continuously every time we did a show to show the emotion. And I couldn't, I couldn't relate to that. I couldn't relate to how they wanted me to uh, take my story, that real story. Because that's what WWE does. If, you, if there's a story, they will harp on that. And they will, they will make that out of, a sto- out of a story for them. And I didn't know that at the time. And I couldn't do it. And so when we were doing promos, I, told, I, said, I think I told Paul, I said, I, I, don't like, I don't like my gimmick. And it's not for me. You know, because I can't tell the story about how I almost got killed every time I, I get ready to do a promo, you know. And from there, I think the word got back to, to Vince. And they were like, we have to let him go. He's a, he can go down to Puerto Rico and work training there and then bring him back up. And at that time, I was like, no, I'm done. I just, I just go home. So, yeah, I, we tried it. I think in OVW I had on some, some wrestling fatigues and I wrestled um, Mordecai, what's his name? Uh, Kevin Thorne. Kevin Thorne, that's our buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I wrestled once and then I just wasn't feeling it, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, so after I got a look, I tried that, but it just didn't work out for me at all. You'd think they would love that. <laughs> they would really yeah. go after something like that. Yeah, they tried it because they wanted one time that when I they wanted me I went to I think Raw or something like that and I was backstage and Sergeant Slaughter came and they were they were trying to put me out there. They were gonna send me out there and he was gonna be something like a my mentor or manager or something. And uh but because I was on the contract with the with the military, they wouldn't I wasn't allowed to be on television or anything. Until after the contract of the U.S. government, so because I was I was still in the military and they sent me plane tickets in there the whole nine man and, and my buddies my wrestling buddies like, oh my god we got a superstar here <laughs> and they were, you know they made me do pushups my 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 sergeants made me do pushups and stuff like that and um and then once I got out of the military that's when they signed me you know to 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 wrestle but yeah I couldn't. I couldn't do that gimmick for some reason. It just wasn't, it didn't feel like, you know, I, I knew where they were going with it, with uh, me trying to be the American. But then I, was, I thought of it also, like, Booker T did the GI bro with the GI bro. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I can't be another GI bro. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> That's not me, man. I ain't going out there looking like that. So, you know, it didn't work, you know. Only thing I can say, this is, and, and I know you guys are internationally known the whole nine, but I don't know how, I'm going to throw this out here, but I swear to God, when I when I was doing my promo, I saluted the camera, right? Hey, this was like 2000, what year, 2005. 
after that. And and Doug, and, and wrestlers are known for stealing people's shit. After that, I would look at wrestling, and I would see John Cena come out. <laughs> And he wasn't saluting people, man, until <laughs> this is just me. I might be I might be reaching. And I swear I said, this guy, man, he stole my gimmick, man. He stole my <laughs> not, not my gimmick. <laughs> not my gimmick, but I was saluting rest I was saluting, you know, in my promo. And I don't know if he got wind of this or whatever. And I said, This motherfucker stole my shit, man. <laughs> because when I was at ECW, I wore a chain. You go way back and trace it. I wore a chain. And I had a lock on. And then when John Cena came out, he wore a chain with a lock on it. And I said, "What the fuck, man? How does this happen? This cannot be. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm just like delusional or something like that." But I wore a chain ECW, and I had a lock. On. And and my reason for me wearing a chain with a lock on a padlock was, you know, because I was like from the hood, and this is for my brothers being on lockdown. And then so when John Cena comes out on SmackDown or whatever, he, whenever he came, I, I saw that he was doing a rap thing. He came out with a, a chain with a lock on it. I said, get the fuck out of here, man. That's, <laughs> that's just not real. But then what really killed me was when I did the salute. And I was like, well, maybe I'm just stretching. Maybe everyone, maybe someone else did the same thing. But uh, I just thought that was funny when I, when I did that. <laughs> well, just, just as sure as you were in a war zone in Iraq, you know for damn sure that there is no such thing as a coincidence in professional wrestling. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> for sure, you know. But, um, yeah, it was, you know, like I said, I um, the military it, it taught me a lot, you know, and, and it, it taught me some things that I thought the military was, was doing correctly, but they weren't doing, you know, little things. You know, like I thought you get your hair cut for free. You know, you go to basic training, you get your hair shaved, you have to pay for that. I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> it comes out of my account? <laughs> you know, certain things, you know. So it was just little things like that that kind of got me with the military. But, but um, yeah, it was um, it was surreal, man. It was, uh, you know, my hats go off to, to all the military people, servicemen, servicewomen who served before me. Who served while I was serving, and, and those that are serving after me. You know, it's it's a job, man. It's not a you know you have a, you have some downtime, but when 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 it's time to go to war, it's it's no joke. It's real. It's, you don't you don't you don't take a bump and get back up. You know, if you're if you get hit, if you go down nine times out of ten, you're down. It's uh, it's a real thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it's it's kind of silly. I mean, to talk about such a serious topic like the war, you know, and what you were doing back there in Iraq, but to uh, talk about the uh, the <laughs> the departure from WWE, just because I want to cover it since we're kind of going in chronological order here. But you know, you it, it's reported that you were kind of caught off guard by it, and when you look at your time there, it wasn't. You know what it, you it should have been, especially with the, uh, the you know potential plans of a military background and a gimmick. Like you basically yeah. handed to them on a silver platter. But if you can, just kind of go over the uh, the release from the company and moving on from WWE. Yeah, what happened was um, every every so often or every week, uh, Tommy Jr. would come in. You know, he would uh, 
He was also at that time. He was um. We had Lance Storm as our trainer. Was Bill Demont left? We had Lance Lance Storm as our trainer at that time. But Tommy came in just one particular a couple of times, and um. So we was doing a wrestling match, and I think I was in there. I was tagged with someone, and then I, I don't know who I was tagged with. And then uh, I was going up against uh, the Beast Chad, um, him, uh, Crime Time, Chad, and someone else. But it wasn't it wasn't JT because he wasn't with us at that time. Uh, anyway, uh, Tommy was doing the refereeing, and when um. When I when I when I wrestled in ECW, one thing, the referee were, was, they weren't calling the match, you know, certain things. And the time away from wrestling, the three years that I spent, you know, in the military, I I didn't look at wrestling. I didn't know anything, you know, I didn't you know anything about wrestling. So when I came back to OVW, I I, I just didn't know that the referee at that time was could call certain moves for you. You know, that's one thing I learned that the referee called things. And so Tommy was ref- refereeing, refereeing one of my matches and he called for something. And I, I didn't hear or I heard him, but I didn't know what he was saying. And so I just went on with my, whatever I was doing. And after the match, he was like, Jilly, what's going on? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I was calling for, I think it was a, uh, a head to the turnbuckle to block it or something. And he said, the, he said the war, the military fucked your head up a little bit, didn't it? Because you're, you're not the same chilly willy that you were when you were in ECW. I was like, yeah, maybe. Because when I get, when I went in to wrestle, Sometimes I really wanted to go in there and fight. You know, it was sort of like if you hit me, I was like I was reacting to like a fight almost. And so it would look sloppy, right? Um, we all know wrestling is, is a dance, and it's you know you're not supposed to. And so it was just looking kind of I was looking really whack. I wasn't feeling it, like I said. And so he was like, okay. The next week he came in, and he told me he said, "You're on the bubble." I said, I want a bubble. What's that? What is that? What does that mean? <laughs> you know what the bubble meant. <laughs> and he said, you just on the bubble. That means get this shit together. And, and uh, you know, Tommy, that's one thing about Tommy. He tell you straight up. You know? So I said, okay. So then um, we did a promo for the following week. And that's when I said I didn't like, I didn't, I, I didn't like the direction that I was going my character was going, excuse me. And so uh, I was sitting, in, I was laying in my hotel and getting ready, get ready to go to practice. And the phone rang. It was John Lawrence. He was like, Chili, good morning, brother. I said, good morning, John. He said, you know, uh, it's, he, he likes you as a guy, but he doesn't think that you're ready. And so... What we're gonna do is, um, would you be considering going down to Puerto Rico? And at that time, I was—I just came home from Iraq. I spent maybe 
two weeks with my my wife, and I went straight to Kentucky. So I went from getting off the plane, two weeks home, going straight to Kentucky. So I had no time with my family at all, and my mind was still in you know in in the war zone. That's my mindset, and so I was like going to Puerto Rico. Like, yeah, because Vince, he doesn't like the way this is going. And uh, we might have to release you from your contract if you're not, if you're not, if you don't want to go down to down Puerto Rico. We'll set you up, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I should have said yeah. <laughs> but because I just got married and everything, I was like, nah, I'm just going to go home. And, uh, you know, it's all good. I appreciate you guys, what you did for me and everything. And uh, I, just, I think I'm just going to go home. He said, oh, yeah. He, he, then John Lauren I said, you sure? He said, brother, we can get you set up. And we think that, you know, after a couple of months, you'll be okay. And we'll take another evaluation of you. And I said, no, nah, I think I'm going to go home. He said, well, okay, well, you don't have to go to practice today. And I said, okay. He said, just, just, you can just go home. We'll pay you for the next three months. And so I, I started packing my shit. I went back to OVW, uh, the arena. I, I said goodbye to everyone. And I drove off, man. I, I went home to North Carolina and, uh, you know, was paid for about three months. And that was the end of my contract. Cut and dry. That was the end of it. So, and then no one told me that you had to pay taxes. So, <laughs> <laughs> the whole time, well, I was getting paid. I was getting paid because uh, I was slated to go to. I don't know if it was Raw, if it was Raw first and then SmackDown because at one time they were like, "You're gonna, you're gonna wrestle Muhammad Hassan." I think he was going SmackDown, but then one day I think they said that I was going to go to Raw. So I don't know, but I was getting paid TV. Uh, I was like on a contract, roster contract. I wasn't on a training contract because they wanted to hurry, hurry me up. So I was getting paid really well, but it was tax free. You know, it was I wasn't getting my tax taken out because I didn't know. No one told me neither that I needed a fucking accountant. <laughs> so I was just taking that money every Monday and just depositing it in my check check account. It was lots of money, you know. And you know, once I once I finished my contract, shit, I was like, man, I owe fucking WWE. How much? <laughs> I, I, I owe taxes, back taxes, you know. So, uh, but yeah, that was the end of my 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 wrestling career with WWE. Man, that was um, it was just John Rice called me and told me, and that was it. As we hit the wind down button and start to wind it down, you got so many great stories and talking about ECW <laughs> and OVW and WWE, and obviously, yeah. you know, your time in the military. But can you? Name some of your favorite matches that you've had in your career, or maybe you know some that stick out to you more than others. Uh, probably one of my favorites is I think it was uh, I want to say St. Paul, Minnesota, or the University of Minnesota with with Rhino. Um, always had fun uh, with Rhino. Uh, in ECW, who else? Um, Little Guido. When I first started, you know, there were some there were some times when I first started in Kansas City. We were in Kansas City. He he would help me out a lot. Red Red Dog, uh, um, 
and yeah, guys like that. I was, you know, tagging with with uh, tag teaming with with um, Sandman one night was awesome, you know. Uh, and then I also tagged with Raven. This was right. This was the one night that um, Mike Austin. He was still living at the time. Mike Austin came to the. Uh, I don't know where where we were. But I tagged with Raven one night, and uh, that was that was an experience. So yeah. And you were part of the Flaming Tables match at one point yes, in time. Am I the correct? Baldi, yes, yes. How did that slip my mind? Yes, in Chicago. <laughs> that was <laughs> awesome, man. I remember we did that, and everyone had on T-shirts. Balls, balling had on. The Baldies had they had their T-shirt on. I go out there without a T-shirt. So right before we were in the gorilla position, someone came to me and said, "This is a flaming table match. Why you got no shirt on?" Well, we guess you're not going through the table. I was like, "Damn right, I'm not going through the table." Yeah, the Baldies. Um, always it was always a pleasure working with them guys. Tony Mamaluke, man, he was he was he was uh he was great to work with. Uh, also, uh, yeah, we just there was there was just a lot of people that you know the time that I did work, um, I had some some fond memories of, you know, I miss it a lot. Was ECW the favorite, basically part of your wrestling career, or is that kind yes. of the the shining sure. light, if you will? Yeah, for sure, for me, yes, yeah, the most memorable. Um, even though OVW was. You know, it was good. It was, but mostly OVW was all practice. You know, because I never worked, I never had a chance to work in a um, uh, on SmackDown or Raw. Although my dark match with Pat Cusick was good. You know, that he's another, he's a uh, indie wrestler, um, and um, that was that was a that was a highlight. I remember, I remember working him. I think it was in Virginia or either Baltimore. And I remember Ron Simmons ribbing me afterwards, you know. we I go out, I was dancing real quick, and we did the match, came back in, and Mick Foley comes to me, he goes, Chili, Ron wants to talk to you. At that time, it was APA. And so, you know, I think they were like, they, they, were, the, they were like the bullies, not bullies, but they kicked your ass if <laughs> you did something wrong. So I went in the back, and everyone was quiet, all the wrestlers. And APA standing there, and I was like a little bit nervous. I was like, "Shit, man, what did I do?" And I'm thinking, you know, if Ron Simmons hit me or something, I'm gonna, uh, hes a big dude. I'm gonna just got to fight him and fucking Bradshaw. I just get my ass kicked, but I'm gonna let them know. So I look at him, and he looks at me. He goes, "What the fuck was that? You go out there dancing. I've been here twenty something years, and I ain't never had no—I ain't never had to go out there and dance and do the jigaboo like you did." Who told you to go out there and dance? <laughs> <laughs> I said, my, my, my stomach dropped, and I was like, and before I could get a word out, he goes, nah, man, I'm just playing with you, man. That was good shit. That was really good shit. <laughs> that was, the one, that was one, probably one of my most intimidating times in WWE. But, uh, yeah, ECW was, was by far my, my fondest memories. Um, Best memories that I had. Exactly. Do you have uh, basically kind of like a go-to opponent or your favorite opponent? Is is there somebody that you would 
basically say is your favorite. I know you had had a lot of little feuds in ECW, and you wrestled a ton of great guys for your career. Any opponents kind of stick out above all others? Not, not really, um, because I, I never had a uh, um, what do you call it? a feud, a, a long going feud. Pro- well, probably the Baldy. That was that was the longest somewhat feud that I had that, you know, we wrestled, but one-on-one, though, um, there were, there were no one particularly Rhino, now, if you ask me now, you know, probably him, uh, because we did, we did in Minnesota, we did uh, Hammerstein, but it was just spots, it wasn't, it wasn't an actual match, and I think at one time, Paul was trying to get me to go against them for a while, and then that's when the company started folding up and, and all that good shit. Uh, but no, because like, like I said, it wasn't. Um, I would when I would wrestle, it was just different people at different times. You know. So. Any any regrets that you yet didn't accomplish something in the wrestling business that you wanted to accomplish? Um, staying with it longer. At, um, at that time. Like I said, when John Lorne Ice called me and said, do you want to go to Puerto Rico? I should have taken that. But uh, that's, that's probably my only regret. Now, because when I see guys like Bobby Lashley and Dolph Ziggler and I see, you know, people like Ethan James and, you know, these people that I was in OVW with, you know, or, you know and uh, or when I got to OVW, they were here. And, um, I saw, I see how their, their career progressed, but that's for them, you know. So life has put me here, you know what I mean. Um, so I really don't regret. I just, I, I look at it and probably said, well, I, I, I probably would have done it different. I don't know if I regret it. I just probably would have done it differently. But if I hadn't done it differently, where would I be? Would I be here today? You know. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things, you know, and um, I'm happy where I'm at, thank God, you know. Uh, I'm still in wrestling somewhat, uh, like I said, helping these guys out here in the Philippines and trying to start my own company. Um, so I want to see, what, that's the challenge there, just starting my own company and trying to get it to, to flourish internationally as well as here in the Philippines and see where that goes. So that's my big that's my big uh, task right now. So what do you think fans will remember about you at the end of the day? Will it be that you were able to take three years out of your life and leave the wrestling world and sacrifice, you know, your time and your life for your country? Do you think they're going to think back to those days of ECW? What do you, what do you think they're going to remember about Chili Willie when the book is closed on professional wrestling? Uh, they probably say that was a cool dude. That's. <laughs> He was a cool group. He was the, everyone's favorite homeboy. Uh, they will say, yeah, he's the guy that went to the military. You know, he took time out, like you said, to, to, to go to the military and fight for his country. But for the most part, they're going to remember, you know, the ECW Chili really cool guy. Um, a lot of my wrestling friends that, that I wrestled with, they'll probably say, yeah, that was one stiff bastard, you know, uh, good guy. You know, or or asshole, you know, depending on who you're talking to. <laughs> but yeah, 
they will remember they will remember that I went to the military, I guess, you know. Just uh dancing around ECW. I hope I hope that's what they remember. And they'll they'll, they'll also remember that uh John Cena's chain gang definitely uh okay. might have been inspired by something else. I don't know. I have to, we really had to research that. <laughs> that was, was kind of like, you know, hey, you know, I was in ECW two thousand. I don't know when did he come out. When did John Cena come out? Right into 2000. oh, two thousand. He was oh, he was out in California. He was probably watching ECW tapes uh, yeah. like a madman. So you're on to something. I'm telling you, I wouldn't have brought it up again if I didn't think so. If it if it gives, yeah, exactly. I hope he I hope he hears about this because I'm, I'm telling you, I I came out with the, you have to research that. I came out with the chain, with the padlock, and then this guy comes out as a rapper with the chain and the padlock. So I don't know. But I, you know, and then when I did, when I did, uh, when I did uh, OVW 2005, I started saluting. I don't know when he, when, I don't know when he started. That's around the time he started saluting. That's the other reason why I brought it up. That, I'm telling you, I didn't bring it up for nothing. That's around the same time. <laughs> so John Cena, if you listening, you owe Chili something, man. Oh uh, well, well, Willie. Before we let you go, please tell the fans where they can find you, and if they can get some information about what you're working on there in the Philippines. And again, the beauty of technology that we can connect this far across the world and uh, be talking to you while you're just waking up and we're getting ready to go to bed. So that's the beauty of technology. But send the fans where they can go. You know, I'm on Instagram, Chili Willie ECW, Chili Willie ECW on Instagram. Um, also Twitter, um, same thing, Chili Willie ECW. And then on my Facebook, it, it, I, have a, I have a wrestling page called Wrestling Entertainment 3000. So they can find me there. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.